So, this podcast is recorded in a house with animals. It's nighttime, so the chickens are asleep in their coop. I've already been out and checked on them and given Dots and the rooster a little scritch, scritch, scritch on his key, keel bone, which I'm not sure if he's starting to enjoy or if he's just accepted the fact that this is what happens at night. <laughs> and so just sort of sits there while I do it without complaining. Yeah. But the dogs might bark. The cats might come in and wreck shit because the cat's been doing that all day. Oh, Sergey! And that leads me to my second. Yeah, warning. already with the swearing. Yeah, uh, we swear. We swear a lot. We're just ripping that bandaid off early this time. Fuck yeah! Also, so if you're under the age of thirteen, probably shouldn't be listening. I consider this podcast PG thirteen. We're not going to talk about explicit sexual content, as far as I'm aware. And I don't know why I did that voice, but. I don't know, but he looks at you me know. when he says that like I might suddenly burst into explicit sexual content at any moment. You've been writing a bodice ripper. It's not a bodice ripper. The font was a bodice ripper. It's like the opposite of a bodice ripper. Anyway, you've been warned. We have to flag this as explicit because that's about as granular as you get on all the major podcast download site thingies. So you've been warned. Hi there. Welcome to Productivity Alchemy, episode 81. It's, uh, and I am almost honestly kind of proud of how perfectly I have made a 70s bodice ripper font. It was not what I was trying to do, but it is so perfect. And, and for those of you who follow us on Twitter, the, the thread that has spawned from that, it really is perfect. I, I was looking at it. It's got that gold sort of uh, glossy thing, like it's all bent gold, like gold swords and or the something swashes oh the swashes yeah yes there it's... is yeah all it needs is fabio and we don't need fabio no no anyway it does not accurately you know <laughs> portray the content of the book in any way so i have to uh, get in there and change that but uh also being antiquated <laughs> but it's but, yeah, hey, so it's, it, it screams harlequin it really does Oh, not my. that there's anything wrong with Harlequin. No, uh, it, it's it, it is not a good design <laughs> choice for what the book is doing, but it is so good at being what it is that it, it's. I I I'm sad I can't use it. it it's like, um, you know, the movie Donnie Darko. Oh yeah. And it was filmed, and it looked exactly like '80s. Oh God, yeah. Whatnot, and it was so beautifully. A thing of its time. It was it was perfection in, yes. in what it was. It was confusing, and even, oh well, yeah, the plot and everything else. But it was an yeah. '80s movie. Just you oh know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this is this is a this is a '70s bodice ripper font, and mm -hmm. it does not reflect the content or the state of the romance industry today in any way, and it cannot stand. But I'm just it, it, it's it's this beautiful little encased in amber moment. There was there was a moment, and and guys, I know we're way off productivity right now, but I, I have to go with this. Hey, one. this is productivity. You got to do a lot of different design things in order <laughs> to know what doesn't work. So, after we sat and watched Donnie Darko together, yes, and I'm like, who is that actor? He seems very familiar. The guy who played Donnie Darko. I mean, he was brilliant. And of course, everyone out there is screaming at their podcast. It's Jake Gyllenhaal. Right? And his sister Maggie Gyllenhaal was his sister in the movie. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I looked and I realized he was playing the lead in Prince of Persia. And I like show Ursula the thing. And I'm like, check this out. That's the guy who played Donnie Darko. And you were like, wow, he grew up. 
I'm not saying Prince of Persia was a good movie. Because I'm we just never saying it, that but... that that gentleman's torso was uh, was. Yeah, I'm gonna need a minute. Uh, that's, that's fine. That's <laughs> I fine. can't go any farther. We're back into the explicit sexual content problem. So, so while while you get yourself back together, <laughs> no. Anyway, I've been playing with fonts. You have been, and and I would I I can circle this back to productivity because you're putting off something else. No. No, I'm really not. Don't give me that look. This needs to get done. Okay, but does it need to get done now? I'm in the mood to do it, so now is the time to do it. Okay, that's fair. That is completely fair, yeah. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I'll wind up with the book about to come out and not in the mood to do it. As and usual, this yeah. is how we get shit covers. But with design, particularly, it is very rare, at least, that I start with a thing and go, I know exactly what this should look like. I've gone through about eight iterations of what I think this cover should look like. I have found a lot of ways I'm wrong. And any of those, I could have possibly... Well, okay, a couple of them I couldn't have, but a couple of them I could have made into a good cover. But there is a lot of doing this over and over and over again, even though I don't get eight covers out of it. Uh, it is necessary to the process of getting one. It is not wasted right. that it's not that any given one of them, even if I worked on it for an hour or two, didn't work. That that hour wasn't wasted. That was an hour where I went, okay, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, and got me closer to chipping away at what I do want. And that's that is that is actually completely fair. And that also blends very well with something I was talking to a or a tweet I got from a listener earlier this week that was asking me to explain because we've thrown the terms around, but the uh, scrum and agile. Oh Jesus! Can I go away and come back after you're finished with agile? Nah, agile's agile's actually really easy. The idea behind agile is there are certain practices that are more valuable than others, and they wrote this thing called the Agile Manifesto that talked through them, and it's really a brilliant piece of work. And there's a lot of other practices that went with it also that they, the, at least one of the people who helped write it is very sad that it was never adapted past, you know, the, the, what you see in the manifesto. So I'm, I'm a caveat the hell out of this. Okay. With the caveat that agile has become a buzzword and what frequently happens, and I am thinking of, our friend Amy's explanation. Oh, God, Agile yeah. is the thing that three people in the office go and get trained in, and then the management thinks they have converted the workplace to Agile, and the other three, and the three people, now knowing this is their only utility, do not actually ever implement it or tell anyone what it is, but like to uh, to kibosh things by saying it's not Agile. And this is this is totally a, an abuse and a use it was not intended for. But it's true. But it's true. But it is true. The idea behind a lot of the practices, and we'll talk how that dovetails into Scrum, is to have get people working together effectively, communicating effectively, that um, that face-to-face or, you know, video calls or some sort of actual human interaction happens when you're talking about design and you're not just emailing back and forth that customers get their code, working code, faster because you're not going to sit there and design everything out in the ultimate perfect way and then go implement it. You're going to do what you're doing, little iterations. Here's version one. Okay, now uh, did the customer like it? Okay, then let's improve on it. Or no, there were bugs, so we go the other way. And 
they break down the work into about two-week cycles. Now, your cycle on these covers is significantly shorter. I damn well better be. Because you're both the person creating and the customer, as it were. Yes. So you're you're able to do a lot of the acceptance stuff of this is good, this is bad, this is almost it, but not quite a lot faster than if we have if we're producing like a piece of software or a website or something along those lines. And it should also be said that one of the things that designers hate most in the world is I don't know what I want, but I'll know it when I see it. If oh, you yeah. say that to a designer, um, they do actually they are allowed under the Constitution to kill you. Yeah. Uh, I don't make the rules. That's the law. They, they, it, I, and, I'm and sorry. Straight up, if you're hiring a freelancer and those that is your idea walking in the door to them, they probably won't take the job. I hope they won't take the job for both of your sakes. Right. Because it will um, make everybody mad. Yes, you will all be very unhappy. They may need the money and take it, but you are making their life yep. miserable. Now, that said, yes. uh, I have no idea what I want, and I will know it when I see it. <laughs> But I am the person who makes the call on what I am seeing, yeah. and and yeah. I have already, like, just by sitting down at the keyboard, I have narrowed down 500 options, you know, that I know I don't want to do. Yeah. So it's, now I'm basically at the, okay, do I want it to look like this genre or that genre? Okay, what about this third genre? Okay, <laughs> there's the way that I would like this to work, but... Uh, and also, incidentally, if you're doing cover design, go look at other covers in the field. Like, oh, yeah. F- the books that you are selling, go look at those covers and see what sells. I did that. First, I went and looked at romance covers, and then I was sad <laughs> because the medieval romance... Uh, How do you put this? You're thinking really hard. Uh, yes, I'm trying to... F- Look, th- there's no nice way to say it. Uh, there are some good designs. There are some standards. And again, a cover doesn't need to be good art. It needs to be a good cover. Right. Which means that it will tell the reader before they pick it up what is in the book. And that is the point of a cover. It is not to be a brilliant piece of art. If you want a brilliant piece of art, go hire an artist to make you a brilliant piece of art. Yes. The cover wants to sell the book. That's what it's for. Yes. Uh and brilliant art does not sell a cover nearly as often as you think it did. No, no. So I went and looked, and I have absolutely no problem with shirtless dude cut off at the neck <laughs> with a title under it. I am actually fine with that because on the one hand, yeah, okay, everybody get the laugh out of your system. But first of all, romance sells uh, about oh, 50% yeah. of all book sales. So they're laughing all the way to the bank. Secondly, See, I'm not laughing at the at the whole romance thing. I'm, I'm laughing at your reaction to it and your admissions. Oh, yeah. No, I, I want to ogle a shirtless dude in a kilt with no face as much as anybody else. My God. So I'll go put on the kilt, take off my shirt, and put a paper bag over my head. Look, again, explicit sexual content. <laughs> so, uh, but it, you can always tell there's the good cover. Yep. That's that where the, the, the designer is genre savvy, knows what they want, and has that, and does it well. And then there's the, okay, but it should also have a castle and the heroine and a wolf and a pony on it. Oh, God. And you can go through, and you can see the same elements in covers, and there's the one that you're like, you did this well, and then there's the, oh, you wanted a wolf and a pony, and a castle, and everything else. And I, it's, it's, 
like the uh, my eyelids start twitching after <laughs> a point because I'm like, oh, 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 okay, this is an elegant. Oh, this is not good. And <laughs> but th- but everyone knows exactly what the elements should be. Yes. Like that's the thing. This is a beautifully concise summary of elements that go into a cover in this genre. The problem is uh, putting them together in. Like, you can either make a, a delicious dish, or you can make uh, a really sad jambalaya. It's, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. But the whole idea is, though, you you through every, like, you, you do a search, maybe you try to put something together, that's maybe not quite it. You look at some more covers, you put it together, those are iterations. Every time you finish one, or at least get to the point where you give it a pass-fail... That's an iteration, right? Yes, and, and what I actually wind up doing usually, uh, there's a stage, I did this last night, where I thumbnail out four or five different possibilities, Yeah. and uh, I just do a little tiny miniature sketch, basically, of what the layout would look like, and I can look at it and go, okay, no, if I do this, it looks like I've put black bars over the dude's face in order to hide his identity. <laughs> okay, so this design doesn't work. This one... Is actually pretty good, mm-hmm. but will require so much work that I'm not sure I want to commit to it. This one, and and that's a legit thing because I have to. This has to be a reproducible cover in yeah. that uh, this is hopefully the first one of a series of fluffy paladin romances. I say fluffy. Some of you are laughing maniacally. Um, there's I'm, only I'm a little cannibalism, and it's all off screen. <laughs> yeah, it's fluffy for me. It's fluffy for you. But ideally, there would be more than one in the series, and therefore I want a consistent cover design. So it has to be something I can reproduce, and I'm having to decide, do I want to commit to doing a painting every single time one of these comes out? And this is a legit concern, Mm -hmm. because my time is valuable, and that takes a lot of freaking work. Right. Um, Okay, so if I don't want to do that, then... What are my other options? And so I start thumbnailing out those. And some, you know, when I things where maybe there's a central icon, I can swap out the design of for each one. It's kind of like what you're doing for the sword books. Yeah, exactly. The sword books are are very consistent. I know pretty much exactly what they'll all look like. Uh, I just have to change. I just have to basically change the title. Uh, cut it out of the the border, maybe, and change the color and some of the background texture, and I've got it. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's the same thing. It has to be reproducible, and it has to basically scale to you know multiple copies. Uh, so, yeah, and so mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, well, if I don't want to spend X amount of time getting a kajillion stock photos of shirtless dudes or dudes in armor. Or shirtless dudes in armor. Those exist. Yeah. Yeah. I've looked at some things. Yeah. You were saying yesterday that you, you have seen some things that now you can't unsee. Uh, the funny thing about that, I, I have enormous respect for stock photo models. I really do. Um, because they're like, okay, hold this and don't laugh. And we know this is uncomfortable. And yes, that's not how you hold the sword at all. But it looks better if you do it this way. And they're, and you know, all these guys know their head's going to be cut off in the shot because it's like, from the neck down, you're fabulous. From the neck up, uh, okay. Um, I'm, and it's not that they're ugly or anything like that. It's that 
they, they that is not an era appropriate haircut that is not <laughs> you know the expression is resigned <laughs> you know gotcha. it's, it's they know you're not using their face and so uh there was one guy who who uh was a dead ringer for a younger version of the publisher itself wolf press jeff eddie who's a friend who, of mine who we had on i want to say in October of 2017. Yeah, and although because of the face blindness, I'm still not sure if they actually look alike or if they just had the similar expression of, why are you making me do this? <laughs> so. Funny, that's the expression that Dotson gets when I scratch him on the, the keel bone. Yes. Anyway, so anyway. I just went off on a whole tear there. You so, did, yeah. you did. But the whole idea is that you're doing you're doing little iterations of work, either building towards a big goal or at least little iterations, little cycles of work that, you know, if, uh, that you get a pass fail solution out of. And, and it gets me closer to what I need. Yes. Right. And that's essentially what agile is supposed to be short work cycles. Although in a workplace, it's usually about two weeks. Two weeks is about what, what people work towards of work to hit, you know, just small goals, lots of little goals. So that at the end of, some number so at the the end of the that two weeks you have something that conceivably could be sent to testing or QA uh and eventually to the customer. And that's the whole idea. There are now industries built around this. There are just horrendously complex methodologies around well, you're not really doing agile if you aren't doing these five things. And that's completely the opposite of what it was intended to be. And the the creators of the Agile Manifesto have words, none of them very polite about it. Uh, and I'm, I, I need to actually I need to talk to uh, the guy here in in the RTP area um, because he has agreed to be on the show. I just haven't been able to schedule it because he's been traveling and putting things together too. Uh. So that, in a nutshell, that's about as much of a concise explanation for a podcast of Agile I can get. I I'm going to link the Agile Manifesto into the show notes so that people can read that and what is scrum so scrum is one of those methodologies i talked about the idea behind scrum is that the team again working with the idea of the little iterations the two week cycles the team sits down at the beginning figures out what they're going to accomplish in those two weeks goes off and does it has a meeting every day to just give an update well uh, what have you done what are you doing and um, what's in your way? What's blocking you, right? Those three simple questions. It's not meant to be a full team meeting, although I've seen teams that do it. It's That's what they call the, the scrum stand-up, the stand-up in the morning. You're only supposed to answer three questions, right? What are you doing? What did you get done? What's blocking you? What's in your way? Teams abuse the hell out of this too, not going to lie. Um, like it felt like at least on one or two occasions, my morning stand-up at the company was not a stand-up. It was a full team meeting every single day, and it was killing us. Do you uh, do you follow the Twitter account Effin Birds? Yes, I do occasionally. No, wait, I, I don't follow them. I follow their other account, Swear Trek. Uh, they they did one that it, it's it's uh, it's basically um, uh, not open source. What am I? Copyright free. Yeah. Uh, vintage illustrations of birds. With obscenities written next to them in uh, the font is actually called Fairy Tale, and I happen to own it. 
Um, but anyway, I know I knew exactly where they got it. They they pulled the whole thing off MightyDeals.com. <laughs> I saw those two things go by. Anyway, uh, I don't begrudge them. It's funny. But there is one that is a bird saying, I bet this will go away if we have more fucking meetings. Yeah. And I, that one, uh, well, that's what I keep thinking of when you talk about all of these meetings. Mm-hmm. I will, um, I would become a ditch digger before, uh, Going to that yeah. many meetings, but the idea of the daily stand-up is—I mean, it shouldn't be a big team. It should be, you know, your your group should be maybe five or six people, and it should take no more than fifteen minutes. I mean, that's the whole idea here. Is it's just that quick little daily status update, and then go do your jobs, get your stuff done. And I've seen so many companies abuse it; it drives me mad. At the end of a scrum cycle, though, at the end of your sprint, like we call that two-week period of sprint. Uh, you, everybody sits down and you do a quick review of what went well, what didn't go well, what do you want to change, what do you want to keep doing, what do you want to stop doing. That one, you know, that's about an hour. The planning meeting at the beginning where you figure out what you're going to do on that cycle, about an hour. If it goes longer than that, you're probably either trying to get too much done or your team's too big or something. There, there are problems there. And that at its core is what Scrum really is. And then you add all the heavyweight stuff about, oh, the product owner and the stakeholders and all that other stuff. And in the end, all that formal stuff is useful in identifying who you need to be talking to and who you need to be inviting to the start and stop meetings. But at the end of the day, the important thing is the short cycles, seeing each other once a day just to give those brief status updates and the meeting at the beginning of the be meeting at the end where hopefully you've got a working something or other. The meeting at the beginning is where you decide what you're going to do. Meeting at the end is where you say, here's what we did and show it off. Showing it off is a big thing. And it frustrates me to see some of the things that people are doing in the name of Agile and Scrum. It frustrates me to see the, the systems that abuse the living crap out of it in order to check a box to say they're Agile and they are Scrum and they're this, that, and the other, because a lot of it is just that. It's check marks on a box. They haven't changed anything. They've just changed the name and it's complete shit. But if, you know, you're doing it right at your company and it seems to be working for you, more power to you. I admire that. Well, well that, that was, yeah. That was 20 some minutes of, of us ranting about fonts and scrum. Yeah. And that's really, uh, there, there are people who are going to see the title of this one who are going to scream internally. <laughs> and I hope that... Are we calling it Fonts and Scrum? Probably. <laughs> and then the next thing we're going to call it is, uh, it's probably going to be Fonts and Scrum, comma, Sandra Taylor. Because this week I have an interview with Sandra Taylor. Yes. Before I get to that, I'm going to talk to our teenage test subject, who we haven't talked to in a while. He's been busy with school. All right. So I'm going to see you off. Why don't you send him downstairs? And we'll be right back after this. back jacob is now here say hello. hi jacob hello hello um so you've been i 
think using your planner and your Chromebook and your phone reminders for a couple months now. Yeah. How's that been working out for you other than the bit where occasionally I don't think you set your alarm for the morning and I have to wake you up. Sometimes I oversleep and we're both running late because of that. Well, yeah, but I mean, um, like sometimes I, I uh, just don't use the um, planner. Usually I usually mm-hmm. put it into Google Calendar. That helps me a bunch. Okay. Because I use my phone a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it, especially it's sometimes in school, like I need it. Mm-hmm. And um, there are also reminders that uh, there are alarms that go off that really help me a lot. Okay. So you've, so you've moved mostly to an all digital. And yeah, the, mostly. And the other thing is I'm sure uh, that we've mentioned in the past, for school, everything is eight and a half by 11 letter size yeah. notebooks. And what you have for the planner, which isn't quite as handy in that particular situation, is the little half size, the oh, junior size. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, the five and a half by eight and a half. Right. Mm-hmm. So... But overall, I, I hear you saying things like, I put them in my calendar. Are you using yeah. the to-do functions in... The to-do? The task list in Google Calendar. Task list? No, I haven't actually, like, seen, seen that. Oh, okay, yeah. That. So there's a task list, and in, in, there's tasks or to-dos yeah. to go with the rest of the calendar in Google Calendar. Okay. So I'm going to give you some homework. Mm-hmm. I mean, in addition to your regular homework. Of course. And that's to go take a look at Google Calendar, and you can actually see it in uh, Gmail itself, too, in the new layout. That mm-hmm. it's, it'll be on the right hand. It can, can be on the right-hand sidebar. Okay. Right? But go find the to-dos and try those out. Okay. Because they, they also kind of fit in with the reminders and the alarms and things like that. Okay. Does it remind me beforehand? Or yes. Work? Actually, I, I, have, uh, I have one that... Uh, for some of the stuff I do on my phone. And about 15 minutes before something is due in a for a to-do reminder, that's when it rings the bell for me. I think yeah. that's configurable. Otherwise, you can set up appointments. Yeah, of course. Like, I have it reminding me twice a day for this thing, once at 1 in the afternoon and once at 5 in the evening. Yeah, whenever so. I have something due, I always put it right in the calendar. Mm-hmm. Like if it's not on, if it's on classroom, it automatically puts in my calendar. Oh, that's nice. The, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. mostly why I'm using it. Mm-hmm. As well as, uh, well, my U.S. history teacher doesn't. He's he doesn't use Google Classroom. He's not really <laughs> good with technology. Uh, yeah, yeah, that happens. So that I, happens. I I end up like writing that down in the calendar. Okay, I can just tap on the date that mm-hmm. it's due, right. and then I can just see it on the calendar at any time. Right on. It's really great. Yeah. Um, one thing I need to work on, though, is mm-hmm. my, like, internal organization, because that one folder yeah. that you got me, it's, like, completely full. Oh, well, you should have said something. I would have gotten yeah. you. We can, we can give yeah, more. Yeah, I forgot. That's, that's not a big deal. Yeah, but, yeah, no, that's fine. I will make a note mm-hmm. in my phone to there, do that there tomorrow. Go. There you go. Yeah, you go. which I will be copying to my paper planner, because I like the, the feel of writing and checking things off the, yeah. the list that way. So, yeah, I will add that right now, okay. and we will check back in with you at a later date. Okay. Probably next week, because the fans, the listeners, have actually been asking to hear from you more. So, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I got a lot of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You've got uh, your SATs coming up. And ACTs, actually, and ACTs. February 20th. Oh, yeah, so... Which I have a study packet for. Right, right. But, that I got from the school. Yeah, because you're... And you've also got all the, the stuff coming up about... Um, Picking a college and oh. getting all that stuff in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the planning stuff that we've been talking about here and some of the reminders and things like that, that all folds into the getting yourself ready for college yeah, and ready is, to apply. Which is stressful, but it's kind of exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Thanks, Bob. I will talk to you 
after I'm done with the other stuff. All right, see ya. Right. And to you folks at home, I'm going to hand it over now to my interview with Sandra Taylor, Howard Taylor's wife. I had so much fun talking to both of them, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. You'll get that right after this. Hi, folks. I am here with Sandra Taylor, who is Howard Taylor's wife and boss, as far as as, as we hear him tell it, and also uh, a great person. And she has agreed to kind of follow up in this interview, or or to and and how she also manages Howard and everything else relating to the business. So, Sandra, can you? Do a better job introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do while my hound in the background, apparently, he's just sad that I won't let him in the room. So, okay. yeah. Um, so I'm Sandra Taylor. I am the uh, the editor and business manager for Schlock Mercenary. Um, I run uh, all the business side of things. I do the accounting. I do the shipping. Uh, I do a lot of the design work. I do all of the um, production management for actual physical products. Um, Howard and I collaborate on design and uh, quality control and artistic direction and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, have my own blog and I write my own fiction and uh, and these are also products that we uh, produce yep. for our business. The publishing powerhouse. <laughs> <laughs> tiny, tiny powerhouse, but sure. So how do you keep all of this organized? Um, a, a, are we talking specific tools or? or tools and methodology, general? like okay. in general. And if you want to go into specific tools, um, that's okay. cool too. Methodology first. Um, I have a, a long view. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while, Howard and I will have a conversation about the next six months or the next couple of years. You know, what are the big projects that we're planning on tackling between now and 2020? Um, And we have that just kind of roughly sketched out in our head. And then we come down and what are we going to handle this month? And then what are we going to handle this week? And what are we going to handle today? Um, And by having uh, and the day conversations, we have a conversation about that every single day. Long view conversations, we have those about every month or two mm-hmm. um, just to, to recalibrate the long-term calendar because the daily stuff will definitely uh, throw the long-term calendar off in one direction or another. Yeah. That just happens. Um, so that's, that's methodology for actual um, organization and keeping myself on task. Mm-hmm. Um, I use uh, Gmail. Uh, I know it's, kind of a bad habit or a maybe not optimal habit. Um, but I leave emails in my inbox until I do the task that's associated with them. 
Um, I also uh, have a task list. I've been using Wonderlist, which I'm told is going to go away. But um, yeah, they they're does. they're converting it over to the Microsoft To Do. Okay. And uh, I finally, I logged on to Wonderlist for the first time uh, yesterday, and there's this big banner that says, hey, check out Microsoft To Do. So the people who wrote Wonderlist are now working on this other thing, and they actually have an import tool now. Okay, cool. So you can go from Wonderlist to To Do. I played with it a little bit. It doesn't have all the functionality yet, but they seem to be, you know, it's the same team, and they're working on it. Okay, cool. So Well, that probably means that the functions that I use most will stay put. The key one being the ability to assign myself a task and have it visually vanish until a day in the future when I've assigned it to show up again. Right. Because because if I have a, if I'm staring at everything forever, it's too cluttered. I need to be able to say I'll do that next Tuesday and it vanishes and I don't have to pay attention to it at all until it pops up again on Tuesday. Yep. Um, Google Calendar actually has started having some of these functions as well. Yeah. Um, and I use Google Calendar as my uh, calendar program. Um, and that is how, when I'm doing the long-term planning, I have to stare at calendar. At, at the yeah, yeah. Where the spaces are and, and where are the uh, commitments versus projects and things like that. So. Oh, yeah. Um, so those are the – and then I also just have um, – Paper notebooks. I frequently uh, writing a list on paper uh, engages my brain in a different way than having a digital list does, and so um, some days that is more useful to me than the digital list. I, I have started keeping a bullet journal, so yeah, I understand completely. Yep. I've I, I have I have started to dip my toe into that cult. Um, <laughs> Well, it like I said, it it, it tr- triggers the brain in different ways, mm-hmm. and uh, which is fascinating. And I haven't had time to dig into why, or I haven't cared enough to dig into why. Yeah. <laughs> but I just know that it does work, and uh, and so yeah, my uh, I have a notebook that I carry with me everywhere, and it has everything from to do lists to random notes to full fledged you know journal entries to doodles and things like that yeah all in the same notebook cool so um how do you uh are there systems and habits the the official question is what systems or habits are valuable valuable to you but do you have systems and habits that you use to integrate that and and work them all together um one of the things that i actually teach a presentation on scheduling your life to support creativity Mm mm-hmm Um, and, uh, one of the first points that I make is to identify the, the structural elements in your life that are outside of your control. Because if you just try and say, okay, 9am is my writing time, but it requires your willpower in order to show up at Mm 9am to to write, you're going to fudge that that's going to fall apart, uh, because willpower is a limited resource. Right. Um, if on the other hand, uh, you take your school kid to school at eight forty-five, then the minute you walk back in, that is your writing time, and you've mm-hmm. already got a, a, a thing to flow directly from, and you can build a habit around this external structure. Um, in our lives, I, I use the school example because we we do depend a lot on our kids' school schedules 
uh, to provide structures, which means everything goes mushy in the summer every year. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it just does. Um, but we've also, over the years, started developing summer structures. And, mm-hmm. and as uh, the longer we are doing this self-employed, self, uh, self-regulating work life, mm-hmm. we get better at it and better at it and more and more able to just go to work when we say we're going to go to work. Yeah, It's practice flat out mm-hmm. practice and, and we were very very bad at it when we got started it's we've been at it 20 years now though so. i've i've been uh 100 remote employee for my last two jobs uh for about eight years mm-hmm. and before that um there was this there was a time period right around it feels weird to say it this way but right around the turn of the century where uh-huh. <laughs> um where i was probably closer to 75% remote and would go to the office twice a week. And I had to learn back then all about that. You know, just because you work from home doesn't mean you can necessarily have a squadgy schedule Um, or, you know, it, it, you end up building the the routine in the schedule that works best for you. Right. Um, And even more interesting is, you know, our bodies, uh, our biorhythms respond to habit. Yeah, And if you don't build a regular schedule, um, you are fighting against your biorhythms. If you have, you teach your brain and your body, we show up for work at 8 a.m., then your brain is ready to work at 8 a.m. But yep. if you sometimes do 8 a.m. and sometimes do noon and sometimes do 3 p.m., you've never given your brain and body a chance mm-hmm. to just to know when work starts. starts. Yeah, and getting into work is slower. Oh yeah, and and I want to touch on the bit where you uh, willpower is a um, is a limited resource that mm-hmm. you said. Yeah, there was a fascinating article about that. That that your focus or your ability to focus is is very limited, and if you have to spend a lot of time focused or keeping yourself on track on one thing, you're probably going to be forgetful or scattered on other things in the day or in the life. Yep. You know, yep. It's all- and this. This is exactly why uh, parenting small children just kills your brain Oh, because you're making hundreds and hundreds of tiny decisions all day long. Mm-hmm. Can the child have a cracker right now? Well, that sounds like a one decision, but no, you have to decide, okay, how many crackers are left? How close are we to dinner? How many other children are in the house? How, you know, <laughs> who's going to, who's going to throw a fit? And, and there's this huge uh, cost benefit analysis that happens in your head right. in order to say yes or no to this child. Um, to do repeat that a thousand times all day long. Uh, it's no wonder it breaks your brain yeah, um, and makes you very, very tired. Uh, and, and even then, yeah, there there's the, they call it mommy brain. And I, I don't know. It, it seems to start about uh, six months pregnant suddenly your brain is i maybe your brain is just adapting to it but i've 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 watched i watched my wife go through it twice mm-hmm. where you know uh, where it was almost like she was training for we knew it was going to happen on the second one not so much on the first but it was almost like she was training for starting to get those time slices to be able to make all of those micro decisions yeah and it's interesting yeah. um i mean i i had four kids and mm-hmm. i did that for a long time i don't have that capability in the way that i used to Right. Um, you know, being around small children is now I used to be able to just roll from 
talking to a child to talking to an adult, no problems. Mm-hmm. And now I have a harder time reengaging with a conversation because I'm out of practice. Yeah. And again, it's practice and what you train your mm-hmm. brain to do um, and how you train your brain to be productive. Uh, another thing I always bring up in my presentation is, you know, you're going to put together a system and it's going to break because something in life, even if you create the perfect system oh, yeah. that works perfectly for you, something's going to change. And then your system's going to fall apart and you just salvage pieces mm-hmm. and put together a new system. And as long as you know that's not a failure, that's just business as usual. Yeah. That yeah. helps a lot because people spend a lot of time feeling like failures, I think. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Um, okay, sorry. I'm yeah. jumping ahead. No, 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 no. That's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, anything else in that In that um, that's uh, uh, systems or habits that are valuable? Um, um, I'm sure that there are. Oh, um, the other thing is uh, recognizing, like, if you are a creative person who has a day job, mm-hmm. recognizing that the day job is supporting your, right. like, by paying bills, mm-hmm. having a, a way to pay bills so you don't have to stress about that, that's oh, yeah. supporting your creative endeavor. Yeah. So um, arranging your thinking around recognizing that these things are supportive rather than interruptive or interference Yeah, um, is another useful brain yeah. hack to do. And I, I think it is worth noting that uh, I think Ursula, it took her 10 years and three tries before she could be just an artist and author and not have to have a day job. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that just because you don't make it this time doesn't mean again, that you're a failure that no, there's a lot that goes, that goes into it. And if you don't make it this time, just try again. Right. Well, yeah. and the other thing to recognize is that not everybody is happiest being full-time creative. Yeah. I know many, I mean, I have one of my sisters, for example, mm-hmm. Uh, went full-time writing and was miserable. <laughs> she realized that she is much happier when writing is the thing she does when she enjoys, when she wants to, when she has creative energy to spare. Right. Uh, and she's much happier with a job with a paycheck and then doing her creative things in her own way and on her own time. Because when you've uh, got the job and the paycheck, that takes a whole sort of different stress level out on the creative oh, yes. side. Yeah. I, I envy people's paychecks many days. You know, just like, seriously, I, having a knowing exactly when the paycheck's going to show up mm-hmm. and exactly how much money it's going to have, I I I miss that sometimes. Yeah, uh, as someone who is recently unemployed, and so I don't uh, I don't have that currently, and uh, you know I I don't miss that much. I'm I'm okay with the money. I miss health insurance really bad right now. Uh, yeah. Yes. Or yeah. I should say, I miss corporate health insurance plans not having to buy my own. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah that one's, that's a real painful switch. Yeah. In so. the state. Other oh. places, not so bad. Yeah. No, this state, not, not so easy either. Not so easy yeah. here. Yeah. All right. So how do you decide what to do first on a given day? Um, well, because I'm building around my kids' schedules, it's very obviously the first thing I do is poke mm-hmm. the kids awake and <laughs> breakfast and, you know, do the get the kids off to school. That's always right. the first thing. Um, after that, though, when mm-hmm. I start deciding what work to do first, that's uh, money-making work, 
Um, it depends on what project is the big one in front of me mm -hmm. and what stage it's on. Um, it's very, we found it very useful to um, divide work into uh, kind of smart person work and mm -hmm. brain dead person work, <laughs> or we call it, <laughs> <laughs> we often call the second one uh, chop wood, carry water. It's the yeah. thing that you can just do. It doesn't require much thinking. It doesn't require much uh, mm -hmm. creation, but it just needs to get done. Um, for me, when I'm doing a shipping, for example, there's the thinking work where I decide which lists of, of people I need to um, process and how I need to organize that. And then there's the brain dead part, which is actually alphabetizing uh, uh, shipping lists, which sounds tedious and absolutely is. But um, at this point, it's, it's an easy, easy thing. You know, putting objects in packages, just following the list that's in front of me. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about that. I just look at the list and I put the things in the box. Right. Um, but other things like uh, layout and design or writing are, are much more thinky processes. And, and so I have to recognize and pay attention to where am I at that day? Most days I can do thinky things in the morning and less thinky things in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. But on a given day, I might wake up and realize, wow, today is just, all brain dead. Yep. Um, and sometimes today is, I'm just not going to get any work done. You know, if, if there's been some kind of a kid thing or a mm -hmm. family trauma or whatever, or I've been sick or I just got home from a convention. Yeah. I don't have brain that day and trying to force myself to work on a day when I don't have brain is just an exercise in frustration. Um, so that's part of how I decide what work to do first. I tend to begin with a quick look at email and social media as an orientation. You know, <laughs> just like what what has landed in my inbox? What is is there anything urgent? Is there anything that's blown up? Right, um, right now we're running a Kickstarter, and so checking on the Kickstarter and doing whatever social media things I need to do is mm -hmm. first task of the day. For the length of the Kickstarter. Yeah. Example. Cool. Mm -hmm. So, and this is, this one always seems to be, it's either really easy or, or very difficult. Um, what is the best or most useful advice or feedback you've been given? Um, given about being productive or... or I I uh I was talking to a friend of mine for the show who is a um psychologist and therapist and mm -hmm. she said okay so here's the one for raising kids here's the one for being you know for my relationship with my with my husband and then here's the one for work so she yeah. had like this list of a list yeah that's awesome um I think uh the one that I like to to tell creative people um, because we are very mean to ourselves in our own heads frequently, mm -hmm. um, is that the act of creation changes the world. Um, and that that is a, a beautiful and amazing thing. You know, anything that you create has the ability to go out into the world 
and change it. But even if the only person that is changed by your creation is you, that is still worthwhile because you are worth changing and you are worth, you know, growing and learning. Um, The value of a creation should not be dependent upon dollars or claim or whatever. It should be recognized as valuable in and of itself. Right. Yeah, no, and that's that's a hard thing. People get get hung up on I I created this thing and I think it's awesome, but only, you know, nobody liked it or or yeah. nobody clicked like on Facebook or nobody you know, nobody, you know, and I'm like, are you happy with it? Great. Then that's all that matters. You know. It is it is tricky to it takes re calibrating your relationship with your creativity Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And when I say recalibrating, that's an ongoing process because we fall into the trap over and over and over again. Right. Um, And we all like to be recognized. We all like to have uh, our, our things recognized and appreciated, Mm -hmm. but, um, but having to learn to that, that is a separate thing from actually creating Mm-hmm. Uh, and and trying to recognize that creating is is valuable in and of itself. Um, yeah, I have a friend right now who is struggling with this exact mm-hmm. thing. You know, uh, nobody likes her art. Nobody, you know, it's it's going nowhere. And I kind of want to sit down with her and and just help her reexamine. Okay, so it's not making money right now. What do you need to do in order mm-hmm. to not be scared about bills. Right. Does that mean go get it? Does that mean go get a job mm-hmm. and, and let the art rest for a while? Does it mean what? What do you need to do so that your experience of your art feels like you can get back to the part where you're enjoying and creating instead of blaming and uh, being disappointed in your own art mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's not good enough or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's it's tricky. Now, one note uh, that that caught me, mostly because I have so few notes for some reason from the last interview. I, I was I, no, it's my fault. I was going to rely on the recording to ah, to, yes. to fill out links and things. I've I've learned, I've learned <laughs> uh, with my check yeah. pre-interview checklist and tests to run, and now you know take take notes. Uh, but right. anyway, the one I have here is also um, seek out mentors. Yes. That's absolutely um, very, very valuable because mm-hmm. uh, whatever the thing is that you're trying to create, find somebody who is creating something like it and pay attention to their process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is actually most useful if you seek out somebody who is maybe just a little ahead of you. You know, right. if you want to be a novelist, um, and you're, tr- you're trying to find mentors. Stephen King is not going to be your mentor. You can read his book on writing mm-hmm. um, and he can mentor you that way, but that is all he has available to give you. Yeah. Um, and so when we say mentors, we're talking about human beings who will interact with you and help you do the sit down and recalibrate and mm-hmm. do the, the listening as you fumble through your thoughts about your own work. Um, and, and sometimes that's a peer, somebody who's doing, you know, 
who is also wanting to be a novelist and you are both working on your first draft. Yeah. That's a great friend to have. If you're working on your first draft, it's also great to have a friend who's written three novels um, yeah. because they have different experiences. And it's great to have a friend who has published multiple novels. So you can see some of these different uh, perspectives on where you're at. Um, but, uh, but don't try and get too far ahead of yourself because pay attention to the stage you're at, not running too far ahead. Yeah, I think uh, even before she had, like, the big book deals, big book deals she has <laughs> now, um, you know, Ursula, uh, uh, I don't know, do you know Mer Lafferty? I know oh, Howard yeah, knows Mer. Yeah. Uh, great. She's local. And, yeah, awesome. Yeah, and so Ursula and Mer have, but you know, they'll go out to coffee together, they'll bitch about the industry they'll congratulate each other i've discovered they sort of have code words to congratulate each other when some things aren't public yet uh yeah you know yep. but the the whole idea there is that they've they've built sort of this mini support group with each other and yes. and they in some ways they mentor each other because you know our first time maybe the second time ursula was negotiating a deal in not in children's books, right? Right. Um, while her agent is very good, but you have to have somebody who's a writer you can go to and say, okay, what, what, what's going on here? And the, the two of them, right. you know, will, will discuss those things. And I, yep. I'm not privy to those conversations most because I don't really care. And it bores the snot right. out of me, but they have, but, uh, you know, uh, they have each other for that sort of support or for helping each other through these processes. Yeah, and I had, for a period of time, it was amazing while it lasted. There was a group of about five writers that was local to me. Um, we were all women. We mm -hmm. were all, you know, in about the same writing place. Um, so we shared a social context, and we shared a life stage thing, and we shared a career stage thing. Mm -hmm. And we would meet about... Uh, every other week or once a month. I don't know. I don't remember what yeah, it was. Yeah. It was amazing and wonderful. And, you know, then some, a couple of people moved away and, and life shifted and the group fell apart and we remain friends and we keep in touch, you know, via social media, but I still miss having that place to go right. and just talk about the thoughts, whatever the mm -hmm. thoughts were that week um, and having somebody listen and get it mm -hmm. uh, is amazing um not everyone has local um some of these things form up online mm -hmm. and um there are chat programs like discord that can help you actually voice voice chat or mm -hmm. you know type chat whichever you're comfortable with and let people form some of these types of support groups even with people they've never actually met in person um, and you can still bond and form those groups. Yeah. Uh, and there and are public slacks. I'm, I'm on one that's just for system administrators. Right. right? Yeah. And, right. and all the different channels that go with that, where we're, there is, there is a, a cry party channel where we talk about what the latest mess that's landed on our lap is in, you know, vague terms so that we're not detailing secrets, right. but you know, where, where we can commiserate together or exactly. celebrate together. Yeah. Yeah, and a, uh, if you are looking for a group like that, one mm -hmm. of that is one of the benefits of going to conferences or events or mm -hmm. workshops 
half of the value or three quarters of the value is not the lectures or the teachers. It is the fellow students mm -hmm. who can, who you can bond with and form these support groups with. It is the, the person sitting next to you, not the person in front of you talking. Yeah, the, the best I go to, uh, there's a local tech conference. It's just finished its sixth year, um, all mm -hmm. things open. And I go, I've gone every year and yeah, I've gotten some good stuff out of the talks on different technologies or different ways of handling, you know, doing uh, business transformation, business transformation work. Um, right. but the, I want to say the bigger value has been in hallway con. Mm-hmm. You know, the hallway Absolutely. sessions where, you know, here's a guy I used to work with 10 years ago. You know, how you been, what you up to? Oh, hey, this is this looks interesting. What's this company or project or whatever about? And and that's the big value for me. Not just yeah. the the sit in a class and oh, hey, now I've, I've learned a new technology I can write a program in. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's the the people you bump into and talk and don't and surprise connect with. And, mm -hmm. and that can be really hard mm -hmm. for people who are, who feel like they're not good at networking or they feel like they're introverted. Yeah. But the thing is when you find your group suddenly, uh, and I've seen this with writers, they're all kind of introverted and quiet, but when they get into a group that is all writers, suddenly they realize, Oh, these people think like me. Right. And suddenly it's not embarrassing. It is warm and welcoming and happy in a way that is unexpected um, because you've never had a group like that before. I, I would, I would posit that that, that I, Mer may be a little insulted if you said you, she thought like Ursula, but that's just the nature <laughs> of that particular well, Ursula. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I know writers and I know non-writers mm -hmm. and uh the conversations I have with writers are one flavor yeah. and the conversations I have with non-writers are a different flavor. Now within the writers, Oh, so much difference in personality and thought oh, yeah. pattern, and, you know, way they approach everything. But, uh, yeah, there's, mm -hmm. you know, some of the social small talk questions, writers will answer them one way and others will write, answer them a different way. Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I mean when I say writer brain. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. All right. So do you want the, what I, and I'm basing this on all the interviews I've done before. Do you want the mm -hmm. easy, but sad question first, or do you want the hard, but happy question first? <laughs> Let's go with the happy second. Okay. It's always nice to do happy after sad. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna have to say that because that's what just about everybody's doing now. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm a big believer in Maxim seventy. Uh huh. Um, and so, and I, I think it's important to talk about how people deal with failure when they miss a goal. So how do you deal with it uh, when you fail at something or you miss a goal? Um, well, you take some time out to. To grieve it. Well, mm -hmm. okay. First of all, um, there's stages of failure. Mm -hmm. There's the the um, and and I think I remember us talking about this before, and people wanting to pretend failure isn't happening to them. And right. you know, and so um, when you begin, to, when something begins to crash and burn, when mm -hmm. when, for example, um, you've been doing business. Um, and your advertiser suddenly cancels your account and suddenly your advertising income goes away 
or or something like that. You can start feeling this, or you see this with Kickstarters. That's mm-hmm. that's the example I used before, where things start to go a little bit wrong, and there's this urge to to pretend it's not happening. Gotcha. Um, and pretend that the failure isn't happening. Oh, if I just work a little harder, I can make this be okay. If I work, if I just, if I just, if I just. And, um, and so I would say the, one of the most important things is to not be afraid to say, well, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing that I tried failed to do the thing that I wanted it to do. Right. But you have to also recognize mm-hmm. that when you say this thing failed, that doesn't make, that's not a value judgment on your personal worth or value or your ability to create or anything. Mm-hmm. It just means that something about the way you arranged that project didn't run as expected. You now have data right. that you can recalibrate and start over. Um, but recalibrating and starting over is a later step. First is recognizing that you're having a failure. Mm-hmm. And then there's crisis management. You know, you if you recognize you're having a failure, then you can take steps to mitigate the failure mm-hmm. or, you know, so that it doesn't splash onto other people as much. Um, and splash damage to, is a thing. It, it really is. Yeah. It really is. When a, for example, when a Kickstarter fails, um, huge difference between ones that handle not delivering the way they wanted to well and the ones who kind of cascade into failure and make everybody angry with them. Yeah. Um, and, and that's because you're doing damage to other people, even if it's just small emotional damage in a, the form of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you take steps to um, own the failure, to apologize for the failure, to do whatever you can to make the failure right if you have caused harm to other people with, with your event. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, after that, uh, yeah, so recognize, mitigate, mm-hmm. grieve. Yep. Grieve. 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 Take some time out and recognize you're allowed to be sad that your thing failed. I mean, you're, you're, um, you're partway through that already. Hold on. Let me, let me grab you. I have a disaster sure. recovery plan. I keep on my wall. Sure. And, uh, I keep framed on my wall. My disaster recovery plan is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and accept depression and acceptance. Yes. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is the stages of grieving. And, and that's almost exactly what you're describing. Yeah. Um, and you have to give yourself that, that time for the, the, uh, depression and acceptance. Right. 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 And, um, and the, and brains are sloppy and emotions are sloppy. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I have uh, we had a Kickstarter several years back that the plan mercenary Kickstarter. Howard may or may not be listening to him record this time. Yeah. Um, oh no, but, he, he talked about the shipping the shipping failure yes, as it the were. Yeah. Stuff, yes. Yeah. Um, we're still digging out of that hole, mm-hmm. you know, and so that means I still have some days where. I'm grieving a little bit about that decision. I'm mostly past the grieving bit, but, um, but you know, there, there was the decision to invest in real estate in 2007, because that seemed like a really safe thing to do in 2007. Uh, Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, and and by 2008, we all knew that that was a very very bad idea. Um, that was the year. Yeah, that was the year I had to uh, I had to refinance my house because of the separation from my first wife. And so, yeah, I understand. I understand. Yeah. We we yeah. finally we finally refinanced this year. To, uh, you know, almost eleven years later. Right, and but, so yeah, it's yeah. these things linger in our mm-hmm. lives in ways that are unpleasant. But but if you can treat failure as data mm-hmm. and make sure it's not the last thing you do. Yep. That's all you can do, you know, fall down seven, stand up eight. Yep. All right. Now for the the happy but difficult one. Mm -hmm. Do you celebrate your successes? And if so, how? It is tricky because our successes are displaced in time from when they're public. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird Mm -hmm. Um, because we, we will, um, send a book to print and that's that should be like the huge hooray moment Mm -hmm. and usually what it is is this just sigh of relief and we go play video games it's it's done Um, yeah yeah because because we finally can um but there are moments um you know planet mercenary which you know hugely went Mm -hmm. in the hole and and was huge emotional drain and a huge project in ways that we didn't expect when those proofs finally arrived at the house. Yeah. Um, we opened the package. Uh, I wasn't actually home. I think. <laughs> and Howard had opened the package and I came in and he said, guess what showed up? And I walked in the room and Howard described the look on my face as, um, like I'd just seen exactly the spider that I'd always been waiting for and it might bite me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was so excited and terrified to pick up the book because what if it was wrong? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, that was exactly how it felt was, um, what if I pick it up and it's wrong? What if I pick it up and it's terrible? Um, and yet, I've been working on this thing for two years mm-hmm. and I've, you know, I had spent 60 hours a week for three months, you know, just prior to that. And, yeah. um, and so I picked up that book and then I kind of carried around with me the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> maybe I headed the cover a little bit and I actually still have that copy mm-hmm. um, uh, on a special shelf in a special place. I mean, which is a little ridiculous because I have 6,000 of these books in my warehouse. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, I guess I only have 3,000 now. But, um, but uh, you know, I have thousands of these books. But mm-hmm. that copy was the one where I finally could see that it worked. Yeah. We, the book was what I wanted it to be. We have a tradition that when mm-hmm. the box of advanced reader copies comes in, Mm-hmm. I get the first one of those, and mm-hmm. when the box of final editions, you know, the author's copies of the book show mm-hmm. up, I get the first one of those. And nice. and so yeah, those are those are like my special copies. I might I'll read them and then I'll put them on the shelf with that's just her shelf. So yeah, no, I understand completely about that. I mean, 
I'm her reference library, so when she's like, oh crap, I forgot what I did in book four of Dragon Breath, and I need to reference it in book eight, now I have to go check, you know, she's like, do you have a copy? Yes, dear, I have a copy. But, <laughs> um, yep. but, oh, it was uh, yeah. funny, the, um, the Shadows Beneath anthology that the mm-hmm. Writing Excuses podcast did several years back. Yeah. Um, the, the final shipment of books arrived while all, all four of them were at the same event, and uh, Howard happened to be present when the first box was open and he ah. snatched out the first copy and actually wrote in the cover mm-hmm. on the inside that this is Howard's copy. It was the first one out of the box. <laughs> and he had, he had the uh, Brandon's shipping manager, mm-hmm. Kara, sign it like to, to verify that this was, in fact, Howard's <laughs> copy uh, of the book. And that it had, in fact, been the very, very first book that was out of the box and how yeah. it got to touch it first. So um, these are the little things. I mean, when people think of celebrations, you think about going out to dinner or yeah. having a big release party or, or something. Uh, we don't do release parties because that's a lot of extra work and stress that mm-hmm. kills the celebration for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's these little things, these moments when, uh, and I still have the moments, you know, every once in a while I'll pick up one of these books I've made and realize, wow, I made that. Yeah. Um, and this would not exist if I didn't do that work. Um, and so for us, the small celebrations mm-hmm. are what we do um, rather than anything big. And that's kind of true for uh, life events as well. We tend to keep yeah. things small and focused. So. I mean, we, we did, I think it was when she signed the three book deal. Um, mm-hmm. I think we did, we went to the Brazilian steakhouse, the meat faucet, as we call it. Right. Uh, yeah. It's the one where she's yeah. like, alcohol is regulated, pot is illegal, but I can go anywhere and just eat all the meat I want. And this is, <laughs> this is not, yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean that's that's like the big thing. You will go out for sushi maybe after like when the contract's signed or something like that. If if we're feeling yeah. up to it. Otherwise, you know, we'll just maybe we'll take a little extra video game time. Yeah, we yeah. probably go out. I mean, when the Kickstarter closes, we'll probably declare a, we get to go out and eat you right. know, for it. Um, we do those too, but mm-hmm. usually in small ways, and often they're disconnected from any event than any outsider mm-hmm. could see as a yeah. celebration yeah. moment. Um, one of the people I talk, I've talked to previously uh, was talking about how he kept a victory log mm. of all the, even those little things so that he could, like if he's having a rough day, he can go back and see that not everything is terrible and look at all these cool things he's done. You know, I actually mm-hmm. had an experience with that just in August. Mm-hmm. Um, I was applying for a grant, uh, which I still don't know if I've gotten yet or not. But um, in order to apply for the grant, I had to put together a CV, a curriculum mm-hmm. vitae, which yeah. was this listing of everything that I'd done and all of the interviews and all of that stuff. And putting that together and collecting it let me see in a way I hadn't before this list of stuff I've done. Mm-hmm. Um which I realized I just need to keep that current yeah, just from my own brain. Because when I have those moments of I'm not doing anything, um, 
then I can look at it. The other thing that I really, really noticed was that there was this gap in visible accomplishment um, from 2015 to 2018, which coincides almost exactly with when I was putting in all that time with Planet Mercenary. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was yeah. Doing all of this invisible work, and it meant mm-hmm. that I didn't write articles, I didn't write short stories, yep. I didn't. There's lots of these other things that I didn't mm-hmm. do. But you can put on there, you know, this time period managed design production da, 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 of yeah, exactly. this finished product. Yeah. Uh, that's everything. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you want to share with the wider audience? Uh, I mean, I've got all the links of where to find Howard. Where do we find stuff that's just you? Um, the easiest way is my website, onecobble.com. Mm-hmm. So O-N-E-C-O-B-B-L-E. Okay. Um, and that's my blog site. Um, it also has links to my books. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, at Sandra Taylor with an ER for Taylor. Um, I've got an Instagram, uh, which is mostly pictures of cats and, uh, you know, rainbows and things. In fairness, Uh, mine's mostly pictures of chickens now. So yeah. Yeah. And and that's what I like about it Mm. is because that's a space where I don't have to promote anything. I don't, I can just look at people's cats and look at their dogs and hear about their trip. Mm-hmm. And and I really like that. Um, the books that I have are, I mean, there's the Planet Mercenary book. That mm-hmm. one is very much mine, um, along with Howard and Allen. But, you know, right. I made that book. Um, <laughs> and then um, the uh, there's two picture books that I did, uh, mm-hmm. Hold On to Your Horses and Strength of Wild Horses. Um, and then there's uh, a smattering of short stories. They're in some various anthologies, but... Um, those are the easiest things to find. Right on. Awesome. All right. Uh, thank you so much. No, no problem. Uh, you know, and uh, thank you for doing this a second time after uh, uh, after the audio apocalypse. So yeah. And uh, it's been a, a absolute pleasure having you on. And then for the people at home, uh, we'll be back right after this. Okay, go us. Go us. I had a great time talking to Sandra. I actually did the interview with Howard and Sandra back to back, and you can hear Ernie complaining in the background of the one with Sandra, <laughs> uh, at least the beginning, because he was just like, "I'm dying out here," and, and I think you ended up like letting him outside. He was like, "I'm fine now." So it, that's Ernie. So yeah, and we had our check in with Jake this week, and I am. I, I had something else I was going to talk about this week, and it's completely slipped my mind. So, Oh, uh, I will say this just in case there are any font geeks in the audience. The <laughs> Bodice Ripper font in question is Wallington Pro. I was going to get a link from you to put it in the show notes. Uh, well, you can find it in various places online, but uh, I, I figured you'd 
someone out there wants that. <laughs> some yeah, no, a couple of people I believe wanted that from from what I saw in the the Twitter thread. Anyway, we do open badges here, which are images that you earn by entering a code on the website, and they are they have metadata that talks about what you did to earn them and where you earned them from, and you can show them off on places like uh, I believe Fedora. Dot org, their whole community thing issues badges, and uh, there are museums that do it, and all kinds of things it, it, like it's that. It's really called Fedora.org. Um, well, it's it might be FedoraLinux.org. But is there a badge that says it's a Trilby? No. <laughs> this is this is the Fedora Linux is the open source version of Red Hat Linux. See my red Fedora over or there? Did they say Malinux? Oh my god. <laughs> That one was pretty good. You gotta give me that one. No, you you, you got that one. Yeah, um, opensource.com also uses open badges. I've I've earned a couple by writing for them. Anyway, you go to our website, productivityalchemy.com. Down in a minute. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I will mute your microphone. Malinux. Um, so you go to the productivityalchemy.com website, you scroll to the bottom, there'll be a little box that says enter your code to claim your badge here. Now this week, our badge code is COBBLE, C-O-B-B-L-E, in honor of Sandra's blog, onecobble.com, which I'm also going to link in the show notes. Are you going to be okay over there? I'm fine. You're fine. All right. And you'll get the badge for this episode, the episode 81 badge. You can also earn badges for having Inbox Zero. We have an Inbox Zero badge. We have a failed badge, which is very popular when I make stickers. That's the one I run out of second uh, because I'm handing out the Productivity Alchemy stickers and everyone wants a failed sticker to go with it. It's kind of awesome. So that's all of that. You can catch my 19 days of productivity with open source on opensource.com, it's running for another week. I'll put together a whole bunch of links when the series is done. But if you go to my page, which again, I'm going to link in the show notes, it'll have all the, the articles up to date. I just finished writing day 13. Today I've got six left to do. It's It's been a, a grind, but it's been a lot of fun, and I hope everybody's enjoying them. And I think that's it. I think that's that's everything there. So... Thanks a lot for listening. Remember, if you want to support us, show us some love. Share, mention the podcast, uh, post to Facebook. We do have a Facebook group that gets all the regular updates as updates as Facebook lets you get them. Send us a letter. Send us an email. We, we do have a letter show coming up in two weeks. And that's always fun. Two weeks? Three weeks. And that's always fun. That'll be episode 84. So three weeks. I'm... You know, we enjoy all of your letters. I've already got a nice selection building, uh, and you guys have been great. If you feel the need to give us money, great. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash Ursula V. That is the Patreon that supports all of Ursula's self-published works, as well as the three podcasts we produce here at Red Wombat Studio. I'm getting used to saying that, not Dark Canvas Media for these things. Red Wombat! Red Wombat. It's yes. where it's at. That's actually pretty good. That, that was well done. <laughs> anyway, uh, that supports this podcast, uh, Kevin and Ursula Eat Cheap, and The Hidden Almanac. You can... It's much better than my previous mm-hmm. previous slogan, which was, We Poop Cubes. <laughs> uh, but truthful. Very truthful. 
Every time that article comes back up, somebody has to mention to me that wombats poop cubes. They yeah. do that to you? Oh, I, I have gotten the pre-Raphaelite wombat thing uh, oh, yeah, more yeah. times than, saying, than God. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you can support us, uh, patreon.com slash V. You can support us by sharing the podcast with your friends. I do have a coffee page, ko-fi.com slash ksunny, K-S-O-N-N-E-Y. And you get a special coffee supporter badge code when you support there. Uh, you can buy me a coffee once. You can buy me a coffee monthly. Those options are set up. I just, uh, I, we, you know, we appreciate every little bit, whether it's a note, whether it's a share, whether it's a like. We do appreciate it all. So that's it from here this week. I'm going to go back to writing articles and hunting for jobs. So you guys have a good week and stay productive. Miss sequel. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. <laughs>